We believe in having fun around this place, don't we? Yeah, we do. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to find them. Go to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. If you're in the sanctuary, there are Bibles right there in the pews. I just got finished. Can I just say something to you sanctuary folks? You know how to worship. It was just so awesome being over there with you for a little while. And so enjoy that. And, and you at True Worth, we're so thankful that we have this bonding relationship with you. And I think you have some scriptures there. I know we got some folks that are online. You're home. You're traveling. we got some folks who live far away who join us in this miracle called technology. We thank you for being here with us. And for everyone here in the room, uh, you want to have a Bible this morning. Uh, this is one of those mornings I think you'll benefit from having the scriptures in your hands. So I encourage you to raise your hand. They will bring one to you. Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is where we are going to camp out and stay this morning. You have message notes there. Uh, you may want to do that today. God, before we open your word, we, we thank you for relationships. And sometimes they get a little complicated. Sometimes they get a little crazy. And God, there are some of us here in our marriages, some of us here in our family tree with our mothers and fathers, our brothers and sisters. And God, some of us just with our neighbors, our extended family. Uh, we got some tension. We have some conflict. And we're not having the fullness of what you have promised in your word. And that's what we want. So we ask you to speak. We ask you to teach. We ask you to heal. We ask you to correct us. And we ask you to do all this in Jesus' name as we read your word. Amen and amen. Uh, this morning we're talking about intimacy. First, I want you to see what intimacy is. And we're not just talking about marriage. So I'm going to refer to marriage a lot in this, in this particular teaching time. I want you to apply this to wherever you are in your life, whether you're single, uh, whether you're, it's a married thing, whether it's a father, son, a brother, sister thing, just your crazy family, or maybe even your work life. We're talking about relationships and having closeness in relationships. So I'm going to show you in the Bible uh, what, what intimacy looks like. We're going to look at how it was ruined and how you and I can restore it. And we're going to focus on our responsibility to restore that which was lost. So if you have your Bibles right there, you look in Genesis chapter 2. This will not be on the screens. But at the end of chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, we get a picture of intimacy. It says, a man will leave his father and mother. He'll be united with his wife. They'll become one flesh. So you have two people, relationship, that become one. I mean, they're bound together. Then it says they are both naked in verse 25. That means they are vulnerable. That means I'm not hiding anything. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. My weaknesses, my strengths, my mistakes. Here is me, all of me. And it says they had no shame. In other words, there's no guilting. There's no blaming. There was no, they just felt safe with one another. And then the Bible goes on there in chapter 3. In those first six verses there, we see how Adam and Eve break intimacy with God. And they break intimacy with God by stepping outside the boundaries that God had set up for their relationship. You do understand that boundaries are for a positive reason. They are to protect you, protect me. And so we might know the fullness of God's promise in our life. They stepped outside the boundary that God established, ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat. They have broken intimacy with God, and now they have broken intimacy, closeness with one another. And here's the outcome of that, beginning at verse 7 of chapter 3. 
Then it says, then both of them were, their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. So now they're experiencing shame. Up here, they felt no shame. Now they're feeling shame. In broken intimacy, you feel shame. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When intimacy is broken, you hide from each other because you're embarrassed. You want to protect yourself. You don't want to be vulnerable. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. When intimacy is broken, there's a fear. There's a fear of being vulnerable. There's a fear that you can't be honest and open with who you are in the relationship. And after he said this, he, he said to him, God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, yes. And the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. He's blaming her. Now you have blame. When intimacy is broken, people blame each other. It's all about the other's fault. The woman does the same thing. The Lord God said to the woman, verse 13, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She's blaming the serpent. In your message notes, how do we restore this thing called intimacy? First thing in your notes, intimacy grows as I open up my heart to bless the one who is naked and ashamed. That the one who's standing in front of me, who has hurt me, hurt themselves, that I open my heart and I bless them. They are naked. They are vulnerable. They've messed up. You know it. They know it. Everybody knows it. But you stay and you bless them anyway. We'll learn more about that shortly. I'm going to tell you what destroys intimacy. Very clear and very direct. Running, hiding, blaming, and shaming destroys intimacy. Here's two more. Being Punitive and paying people back. Vengeful. Revenge destroys intimacy. If you're going to have intimacy in any relationship, in every set, in any setting, you have got to learn what it means to open your heart and to bless the one who is in your presence, who is both naked and ashamed and not run and not blame and pile more on top of them. Now, I know it's February 14th. We just had a little pickup line song for those that are single. I know some of you have great plans for February 14th. Foolish would be the man who ignores that day. If you are married or dating someone, that would not be wise. But I would also say foolish is the man or woman who thinks that on February 14th, you can create an experience that will guarantee you're going to have intimacy. Several years ago, I planned such a night for Dallas and I. We were going to, I made reservations. I did the whole Hallmark thing. I did everything Hallmark said you're supposed to do except buy a Hallmark card. I don't go buy Hallmark cards. I'm like a fourth or fifth grader. I make my own cards and draw to Dallas. I did that. Wrote her a little poem in there, had a little reservation at Steak and Ale, which does not exist anymore. 
on the old Weatherford Circle where we used to like to go. And so we had our date night. I had the cut flowers. I had the chocolates. had everything. And when we got home, I had arranged to have the bed turned down. The marital bed was folded down. I had rose petals all over the bed. I had candles in the bedroom lit, kind of burning all over the place. I went and got a silver platter. I had two little glasses of champagne on the platter. I had chocolate-covered strawberries and some other things on the platter. And I set it right in the middle of the bed. I'm going, I am the man. It's going to be a great ending to a lovely evening. And so I'm going to go shut down the house for the evening to get ready. And the phone rings. And like a stupid husband, I answer it. And I get stuck on the phone for 15 minutes. And I finally get off the phone. And I'll just say I'm a little eager. So I start running to the bedroom. And when I get to the bedroom, my foot hits the carpet I jump and launch myself in the air to jump into the bed. Now, in the middle of the air, Dallas and I both had the same thought. What are you thinking? (laughs) Because my 200 pounds was about to land in the bed, and what I had put in the middle was going to be launched into the air, and that's exactly what happened. And my wife is drenched in champagne. She's got chocolate all over her and strawberry stuff on the sheets, on the floor. It is a mess. And out of my wife's mouth came these words connected to mine. I've never heard such a soliloquy coming out of my wife's mouth. I mean, she described me in ways I never knew she could describe me. And it was just a string of things. Ah, ah, I can't believe it. And I couldn't take it back. I mean, I'd ruined the whole night. I mean, I couldn't go backwards and start over. It was done, baby. And so we had to strip off the sheets and put them in the washer and clean off her nice, expensive bedspread that I had all messed up. And, and now we had stuff on the carpet and the floor and cleaning all that. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, my wife started laughing. And she started laughing so hard, she started crying. And I started laughing. And I kind of started laughing so hard, I was crying. And then I hugged her, and she hugged me back. And there was that was the most intimate moment of the night. It was incredible. Now, I do not encourage you to try to replicate that this coming Thursday. <laughs> because the outcome may not be the same as ours. I'm just saying, it wasn't what I expected, and it wasn't what I planned. But there was an intimacy that we could not have created by some hallmark experience. I'm trying to teach you, help you understand. There's no magic process by which you can do something to guarantee that you and your spouse or the person that you're dating or even the person you work with, whatever the setting for the appropriateness of the relationship, to create perfect intimacy. Well, pastor, are you saying then that there's nothing I can do to make that happen? No, I'm not saying that at all. But here's what I am saying. To the extent that you blame and you shame and you run and you hide, you're going to destroy the very thing that you want the most. You will. And to the degree that you can open up your heart and bless the very person who's naked and ashamed, who has broken your heart or you've hurt their heart, you have the possibility of experiencing Intimacy like you'd never known before. In your notes, number two, intimacy is the ecstasy of the promise 
that love conquers death. And that's exactly what we see in the scriptures. Right down there in verse 15, the Lord turns to Satan and he kind of gets on to him for tempting Adam and Eve. And it says down at the end of verse 15, he, that is a prophecy of Jesus, Jesus will crush your head. You're going to strike his heel, but he'll crush your head because love, the love of God always conquers death. And in a relationship, there are so many little deaths along the way where your heart gets broken and somebody says something, those little barbs, and there's death after death after death after death. And the scripture says very clear that love can conquer that. And you've got to hold on to that promise. Now, here's what I know. So few people will ever experience that sort of ecstasy. 52% of every first marriage ends in divorce. 70% of the second. 90% of every third marriage. And there are many in this room, sanctuary, true earth, online, who are married, and yet you're just going through the motions. You're pretending. You live in the same house. It's a business arrangement. And you function, but there's no real intimacy. There's no real passion or closeness in the relationship. And you're thinking, well, I guess that's just the way it is for everybody. That's just the way. No, it's not that way for everybody. And it doesn't have to be that way for you. But you're going to have to stand on the promise that love conquers death. That evil cannot win, that evil will not win, that on the cross, Jesus overcame everything in your life, and he can even overcome that. And you've got to stand on that promise, and you've got to resist the temptation. Men especially, men, listen, you've got to resist the temptation to run and hide and then blame. Because that's what happens in the Scripture, and that's what happens in our lives. We're going to go back in here to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to show you, help you understand some of the things that are going on in your lives right now. And the scriptures, the word of God are just so, so eye-opening sometimes when you dig a little bit deeper to it. And that every man in this room is a, is a, is a son of Adam. Watching online, sanctuary, true worth, every man, you're a son of Adam. Every woman, you're a daughter of Eve. And because of the consequence of broken intimacy with God and with each other, All of us in this room suffer the consequences of the fall, the consequences of sin. And there are a couple of things that's unique to the woman's experience, a couple of things unique to the man's experience. Let's dig in. Verse 16, to the woman, God said, woman, I'm going to make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Literally, it's saying, women, you will have pain in childbearing. And you will say, well, what if I never have kids? What if I choose not to have kids? What if somehow I stop the menstrual cycle in my body, this this female thing within me, because I'm not going to have kids or I don't want to? Does that mean I'm spared of the curse? It does not mean that at all, because it's so much deeper than that. The scripture is saying that women, by nature, God has shaped and formed you to be relational in your heart. You're relational in nature, women are. And women, your heart is born to give birth to relationships. 
I mean, your heart is like a womb. It expands and it grows and it gives life. And you want to be fruitful in all your relationships. So the curse there for the woman is relational pain. Is relational pain. That's letter A, relational pain. That every woman is going to experience some measure of agony. I mean, agony in her relationship with her husband, with her father. With boyfriends, with, with girlfriends, with people in their life at work. In their, because women feel so deep within them because it's all about relationship. And the scripture says that, that men don't know how to manage and handle that very well. It goes on to say that the woman, the woman will have this desire for her husband. In other words, that word desire, she will have unfulfilled desire. The desire that a woman has is so powerful. And we men don't know how to respond to that desire very well. To understand the word, you see the same word used over here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, where God says to Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires, desires to have you. Your desire, woman, will be for your husband. That word desire in the Hebrew literally means an empty longing, a desperate craving, that there's something empty, something missing in your heart that you hope and you desire that someone or something can fulfill. And you have this deep longing for it, that desire to be fulfilled. And men who are so overwhelmed by the woman's desire and not knowing how to fulfill the completeness and fullness of who a woman is, the scripture said, <coughs> will rule over you. In other words, men will control to squelch that desire, that passion, that energy in a woman because you don't know how to manage it. And it unnerves you. So you try to intimidate and control. Which gives us to the, to the question that most women ask of themselves about life in general. And that is, am I too much? That's the core question for women. Am I too much? Am I too much for my husband? Am I too much for my father? Am I too much for that friend of mine? Am I too much for them? Am I too much for my boss? Am I too much? Because a woman over the course of time, seems to have more energy, more hurt, more deep feelings about life, deeper emotions, more desires to go get things done and make things happen that her husband knows how to manage or handle. And women ask that question, am I too much? And the man, the scripture says, yeah, sometimes she's a little bit too much. And the scripture says, yeah, you will rule over her. And that's not a good thing. That's, not, that's, a, that's a consequence of the fall. That because you don't know how to manage your, your woman, this, this life full of joy in your life, you can't handle the emotion and all the passions and things within her, that you'll try to control her and intimidate her to silence her. And you'll leave and go into the other room and leave her there because you don't know how to handle what she's feeling or experiencing. Then there's the man. It says to Adam, verse 11, verse 17, because you listened to your wife, because you ate from this tree, it says in the tree, cursed is the ground because of you. 
painful toil, you will eat food from it. Down in verse 19, by the sweat of your brow. In other words, nothing comes easy for a man. Nothing. On the inside of a man, nothing feels easy. There's no low-hanging fruit. There's no category that says low-hanging fruit. That every time a man goes out the door to go into the world to do what he does, he feels like he's never going to measure up. That the world is always out to get him. That the deck is stacked. And it's always sweat and blood to push against the flow to provide and make things happen. And to make matters worse, the scripture says, by the sweat of your brow, everything you do, it says in 19, is going to turn to dust. In other words, nothing lasts. So a man goes to work all of his life, achieves and does all these things, and it doesn't last. It doesn't go into eternity. So the man seems futile. Why does it make a difference what I'm doing? And a man has this identity crisis of why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Who am I? And so the work becomes just a meaningless task of spinning the wheel to take care of the family, the responsibility that there is. So you see the tension between men and women, whether you're married or not. Women, this sense of emptiness within their heart of never being fulfilled the desires of true relationship at the deepest level. A man always struggling with their self-image and achievement and feeling like they're never measuring up to the standards of their family or the world. And when those two things collide, you have conflict. And the way most of us respond is like Adam and Eve. We run. We hide. We cover. We shame. And we begin to blame the other person. Let me help you get a picture of this. How many of you remember life before cell phones? Raise your hand, life before cell phones. Oh, quite a few. This is going to get a lot of hands down. How many remember life before caller ID on landlines? Not nearly as many hands, though. That's okay. I like our younger group that's growing up in this church. I did not like life without caller ID on landlines. As a pastor... I would get a lot of phone calls at 10 o'clock at night and later, and there's never good news after 10 o'clock. And used to, they would publish my phone number, home phone number, in the little church directory thing we had. And there were some people who thought it was their responsibility to call me every night after 10 o'clock to let me know what's going on in their little life. And there was one particular man, I'll say his name was Fred, he had an alcohol problem, and he had a fighting problem with his wife. And so he would call, he would binge call me before binging was popular. Well, you didn't know what binging was. He would binge call me, which means he would call me time after time after time. And I could kind of tell when it was Fred's call. And so Fred would call after 10 o'clock. And I saw one night uh, the phone rings and I look at the phone, Dallas looks at the phone and I'm going, because I know it's Fred. It's the same time called every night when he's drunk, fought with his wife. I said, no, no, no. And she goes and she answers the phone. I'm going, no, no, no. And she says, oh, hi, Fred. Uh, oh, no, Rick's not here. Oh, oh. See, my wife deceived Fred because her heart, like every woman, is lonely, wanted to not break fellowship with me, to have my approval and closeness 
So to do that, make sure that was fulfilled, she deceived, did what was wrong to deceive Fred. Well, he's not here, blah, 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 hang up the phone. So I'm feeling great because I didn't get caught on the phone by the same conversation that before. She's feeling terrible. Phone rings a couple nights later, and I know it's Fred, same time. Same, he's like a clock, same time. And I went, no, 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 I'm shaking. No. She answers the phone. She says, Oh, hi, Fred. Uh, yeah, Rick's here. Uh, but he's shaking so violently in front of me that I do not know what he wants to do with this phone call. So I'm just going to put the phone down until he decides what he wants to do. <laughs> Notice it's the women that are laughing. It's the women who really understand. And man, I wa- and then she walked away. Now, the problem was this is a cordless phone. So I can follow her. I know where she's going. So I pick up that cordless phone, and I'm trying to talk to Fred here, and I'm following her. She goes all the way to the bedroom. Okay, woman, you and I got to talk. What would you just do? No, blah, 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 blah. And she goes into the bedroom, and she kind of closes the door so as not to listen in on the phone call, right? I mean, she's just been respectful. And so I'm right by the door, and finally I get off the phone, and I put it down, and it was my moment. You know how you can open the door to make a sign? I opened the door with power. I went, what? So she would hear it, hear the whoosh. And I said, what? With one word, I blamed her. You need to hear this. Your words have power. And with one word, you can shift everything and put it on the other person. I said, what were you thinking? Dallas is laying on top of the covers, and, uh, and she's got her Bible there, and she's looking at her message notes, and she says, well, I was practicing something that you taught last weekend. Raise your hand. How many of you are familiar with that cycle in your home? And there's conflict. There's a misunderstanding. Somebody gets their feelings hurt. Somebody gets mad. Somebody leaves. They go to another room. Silence. One day, two days, three days. Things kind of calm down. The feelings kind of ebb. And one of you kind of approaches the other, you know, and you go, oh, you know, man, that was so silly of me. I shouldn't have said, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have either. Kissy, kissy, makey, a couple, and all that sort of stuff and everything. And then you go back the way things were all the time. But you never talk about what happened. You never deal with the issue. Ever until it happens again and again and again and again. And those nicks and those wounds, one year, 10 year, 20 year, 30 years, slowly erode all the closeness and all the energy and all the intimacy in the relationship. Church, you need to hear this. A person does not wake up one day and say, all of a sudden, hey, I I don't love you anymore. 
I want a divorce. That's not how it works. It's this slow tectonic shift over time where you drift away from each other, nick, 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 hurt, 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 wound, 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 that's never resolved, that's never taken care of, and one day you wake up and you discover you're sleeping with someone you don't even know. You're in the same bed, but you're so far apart. And you still kind of like them, and you still have kids, and so there's a little bit of a, a bond there, but there's no intimacy, and there's no real closeness. And you're just playing house. That's all you're doing. Is that the way it has to be? No. Intimacy is not that complex. It's really not. But it's very, very hard. As a man, I've got to invite my wife into my insecurities to stand with me in my stuff. I've got to invite my wife into where I am naked, where I feel ashamed. I've got to invite her in. Every man here in this room, I don't care how successful you are, you know this is true. Every man doubts himself. In your soul, every man has this thought, has this question, what if the world finds out I'm a poser? What if they find out I'm not as good as they think I am? What if they find out who I really am, what I think, what I worry about, how I act at home, how I do with my kids? What if everybody finds out? There's not a single man that goes out during the day to do his job and thinks, I can do it and I will do it well every single day. I got this. I'm going to conquer. Every man has some measure deep within him. But every man also has a little bravado and just enough bravado to bluff yourself through the day to make everybody think, you got your whole act together. But your wife knows the truth. She knows where you're weak. She knows where you're insecure. She knows where you're ashamed. She knows what you worry about. She knows. And men, what would it look like for you to invite your wife in to your pain, into your struggle, into your issues, and to invite her in to help you wrestle and to bless you in the middle of it? And ladies, you don't get off the hook. You women whose deep desire for more in the relationship. You just want it to be more, this loneliness that you feel. What would it look like for you to invite your man, your woman, into your loneliness and to really know the truth about what you need, about what you want out of the relationship? And you go, whoa, that's kind of hard. Let me tell you why it's hard, ladies. Because you were lonely before you got married, and you're lonely after you get married because sometimes we men contribute to your loneliness because we don't get you, and we run, and we hide because we don't know how to deal with you. And now I'm saying you got to invite your husband who doesn't get you into it and trust that he'll stay. I'm saying that's the only chance of you experiencing intimacy is the risk, is the risk that he'll figure it out because if you don't, you will just exist and play games. Let me tell you a quick story. I've got about five or six minutes to do this to kind of help bring this together so you have an understanding. 
I was working with the family. I don't get to do this as much anymore, and I really can't because of the great blessing God has given us here of all the people. But I used to do more work with families, and I'm working with a man and a wife and their six-year-old son. And they have a lot of dysfunction. The father's angry all the time. Uh, the mother is passive-aggressive. And the kid is just a victim of everything that's happening in the household. And I've learned his family had never taken a vacation together. So after we had done some work and they're kind of learning some things about themselves, the wives and everything, I said, you got to go on a vacation. Y'all need to go do some, make a fun memory. They decided to go snow skiing. The only problem was none of them could ski. They'd never been before. But once they made the decision, the husband said, we're going. And he, he, he buys the tickets for three days of skiing, three days of lifts, and three days of rental equipment. And she got very angry, saying, well, why didn't you just do one day? Because what if we get up there, we don't want to do all three days, and now we've got to pay for it all. He said, listen, we're going to do it. We're going to have a good time. Boom. You can't quit. He was being controlling. He was being controlling. It was kind of an aggressive move on his part. So they get there, and they get all set up. And the first thing to do is go to the ski lift. The dad does to go to the ski lift. And she says, don't you think we should take lessons? We don't know how to ski. He said, no, just watch and learn. Just watch and learn. Just watch and learn. And she said, no, no, no. I'm taking a lesson, and so are you. And he said, okay. Let her pave the way because she had that need. And so they took the lessons, and the boy took the little snow bunny camp. After a half a day of that, they're ready to go. The dad, let's go to the top. Let's go to the top. And they said, no, 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 that six-year-old's not ready. No, he's ready. He's ready. He said, no, he's not. He needs to stay here. I'm not paying another 50 bucks. He was cheap. And so they got the kid out of snow bunny camp, and off they go skiing. And so they put this little harness around the son because the dad was going to teach him his son how to ski, but the dad didn't know how to ski himself. But to keep him from falling. So they put the little harness, and they had reins on the kids. And sure enough, they fall, they slide, they roll. The dad falls on top of the kid. And the dad just thinks it's all fun. The kid's going, free me, free me. He's freezing cold. And he was saying, free me, free me from this harness. So they took the harness off. The kid gets up. He starts skiing like an Olympian. <laughs> he just takes off. And it was, it was incredible. And all of a sudden, the whole mood of the family changed, and now they're having fun because the wife and the mom, the, the dad, they're just amazed at their son, and so they're following him, learning how him on how to ski. And the first day goes by, the second day goes by, and almost at the end of the day, they get down to the bottom of the blues. They've been doing blues the whole time, and there was a black, the most difficult one, and the kid turned and goes, can I, can I? And dad says, well, I don't care. And the mom said, no, no. Can I, can I, can I? Do you want to, mom? No. She skis off to go around the blue. And he goes straight down the hill. It was like a magic. He gets to the bottom and says, Dad, Dad, come on down. Dad, come on down. Dad goes, oh, no. <laughs> so the dad tips his skis. And then he gets to the bottom quick because he rolled straight down. <laughs> Big mess. Lost his skis. Falls right at the foot of his kid. And the kid is bracing himself for his dad's anger. But he doesn't. He's laughing. It's okay. The things are going great. Wonderful time for the family. Like never before. Day three comes around. The kids skiing blacks and dad all day long. Mom's off doing her own thing. And after lunch, the kid falls, and he finds out it could be dangerous skiing. He gets a little timid. So the last run of the day, they go to the top of the mountain. Top of the mountain. They're going to take a family photo. The dad insists that his mom come. And I get up there, get the family photo, and the son sits down the snow and says, I can't do this. I can't. Go get the car, dad. Go get the car. You can't bring a car up the mountain. 
you got to ski down. Dad, I can't do it. Something back, I just can't do it. The kid froze, and he's freaking out, just having a panic attack right there in the snow. And the dad is laying, you got to be a bucket up and be a man and get your skis on and get down that hill. Dad lost it. Parents, can I tell you something I should have told you last week? When you lose it, the very first thing your kids feel is shame. When you lose it and you pile it on your kids, they feel shame that they're not measuring up to your expectation. And the kid feels the shame and the mother sees it. And she comes over and says, listen, it's not working. Why don't you let me try? He says, fine, if you think you can. And he skis down the bottom 400 yards and looks up. And the mother is trying to coach the kid and get him to go. And the kid just won't go. And the dad is looking up going, I knew she couldn't do it. I knew she couldn't. That kid, he never measured. And the kid's yelling at him, yelling, 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 yelling. And they can't hear him because he's down 400 yards and they're up higher. So he starts climbing sideways back up the top. Going all the way to the top of the mountain. He's sweating. He jerks off his jacket. He get, he's fuming now. He skis over to the kid. And the mom just very calmly steps in front of him and changes everything how she manages herself. No longer passive aggressive. Here's what she does. She goes, she's protecting her kid. He says, no. And then she walks up to her husband. And this is what she said that changed everything. Please listen. I know many of the men in your life have humiliated you. And all of a sudden, the picture of his dad, of his grandfather, of a coach, of a boss. She named his story. She stood in his pain. And she said, I know you don't want to do that to your own son. I know you don't. Tears came to his eyes. She called out what was really in his heart. He couldn't get to. He called it out. And then she blessed him. She put her hand on his chest and said, you're a good man, Andrew. I know you're a good man. And then she tipped her skis and skied away and left the father and son all by themselves. And what happens next is so powerful. The father, his son, acting up, sits down in the snow. He picks up his six-year-old, puts him in his lap, pulls him up close into his eyes. And he says, you saw me coming up the hill for you, didn't you? Yes. You saw how angry I was, didn't you? Yes. You were afraid I was really going to make you pay, weren't you? Yes. What the dad says next is how intimacy begins. I was wrong. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made you afraid. I was wrong to make you afraid. I was wrong to intimidate you. Then he said, will you forgive me? Here's what I know. There are many people in this room watching online in the sanctuary of Tree Worth who have never said those words. I am wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? 
Because most men, when the conflict happens, men, the man will run away, run to your study, run to the garage, run to the workshop, you'll run to your car, you'll run to the bar, you'll run to your friends, you'll run out of the house, and you'll leave your wife there with a broken, empty heart, longing for you to stay to deal with the issue, and you run. You run, and you hide, and you blame her or the kid. But what's needed is for the man or for the woman to stay and simply say, oh, I messed up. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I hurt you. Will you forgive me? Wives, I was wrong, husband, for being more focused on the children and the dust on the floor. And your need to have a relationship and have time with me, I was wrong. Husbands, I was wrong, my wife, for being more interested in my work and things that don't last forever than tending to the emptiness of your heart. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And church, until you get to that point, you're never going to know the restoration of innocence and intimacy lost of what God has promised in his word. And then the final thing is, the most critical thing, you got to invite Jesus in it and you got to together connect, together connect with Jesus who is our generational curse lifter who on the cross died for the loneliness of the woman and all of Eve's and died for the futility and the shame of all men on the cross. He died with the promise that death does not win, that love conquers all. And you stand in that promise that when Christ is in the center, all things hold together. And that allows a man to say this, and then I'm releasing you. Babe, I messed up. I don't know how to repair it. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I know I got to look at me and figure out my heart where I am wrong and how I'm not meeting your needs. And I'm going to work on me. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to bless you. And I know I'm going to fail, but I'm going to bless you. And I'm not leaving. I'm not quitting. I'm not walking out. I'm staying. And we're going to know intimacy like we never had before. I'm going to trust God's promise. And God, that's what I'm praying. I'm praying for every family who can hear my voice, where there is conflict, where there is emptiness, where there is unfulfilled desires, where there is longing, where there is a sense of futility, it will be replaced. And that you will show us how to stay and to stand to stop running and hiding and blaming and shaming God, you would show us through your word and give us the courage to stay in the pain and work through it together. And may our marriage be a witness that church people and Christians who follow Jesus are not like the world because in Christ we can have reconciliation. May it be so. Thanks for coming.